Hello, and welcome to Can Architecture Fix This? A podcast where we explore challenging design questions through stories and conversations with expert guests. I'm your host, Rebecca Schaeberg, coming to you from White Architecture Studio in Oslo, Norway. This week we are asking, can architecture fix the water's edge? It's the last episode of the season, and we've come back to our hometown Oslo for a conversation with Jenny Mackey. Jenny, along with producer Ingrid Plevan and I, was a co-editor of the Out of the Blue book anthology, where all of the stories you've heard this season, and some more, were first chronicled. In this interview, we talk about how the studio's blue focus all began, and about the Harbour Promenade project, which is one of the main reasons White Architecture established a studio in Oslo. We hope you'll enjoy the story. Jenny Mackey is an architect and urban designer. Jenny was the responsible architect for the Havna Promenaden project in Oslo, and after winning that commission, she founded White Oslo Studio in 2012. Jenny is one of the co-editors of the Out of the Blue book anthology. She is a partner at White Architecture. She is my colleague and good friend. Welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Thank you. We are wrapping up this inaugural season of Can Architecture Fix This? And we thought it was only fitting and appropriate that we do that by talking with you. Now, for some of our international listeners who may not be familiar with the difference between the Scandinavian countries, like I know I wasn't when I moved here, could you start us off by telling the story about what brought you from Sweden to Norway and um, what impressions you encountered as a designer as you started up a new life in Oslo? Uh, well, uh, for me, uh, Norway and Sweden is quite similar as well. So you can say that uh, I'm a Scandinavian citizen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good. <laughs> both feet uh, in both countries. Uh, so for me, uh, moving to Oslo, it wasn't that kind of big deal for me. Uh, we moved from Gothenburg and almost spent nine years in Oslo. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a really uh, exciting time. And the reason why I um, wanted to move to Oslo, it was because um, Norway actually had this um, really focused on architecture and how architecture can uh, make a difference. So I felt uh, for a political view, it was really interesting to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, development and also Oslo as a city is quite interesting uh, if you look back 10 years ago uh, and forward it's happening a lot so mm-hmm. if you're an architect of course you would like to be there <laughs> absolutely yeah. absolutely um, the main story today is about the Hoven from non project and this connects to what you said about Oslo being in a major transformation from about 10 years ago um, that project, Havnepromenaden, was a part of a bigger initiative called Fjordbien. So I wonder if you can explain the premises of Fjordbien and how Havnepromenaden fit into that plan. Yeah, I mean, like Oslo and similar cities, uh, it was part of this transformation process when you uh, looked at the harbor areas like a working place and uh, mm-hmm. transformed it to a more livable place Mm -hmm. and reconnect the city to the water edge if you can say so. Mm -hmm. So um, Fjordbien it was uh, part of this transformation idea about developing the water edge Mm -hmm. and Hamne Promenaden is kind of this uh, backbone in the whole plan. It's uh, the public room that's nine kilometers long that connects all the small parts uh, of Oslo Mm -hmm. uh, along the water edge. So it's really 
um, it's the biggest, I think the biggest um, focus area for public spaces connected in in Norway, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really impress- uh, impressive project and yeah. ambition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your team's approach to the competition. Well, first of all, the team wasn't just White Architecture. You were working together with um, Marius Grenning and Rodeo. And what, were there others on the team? Yeah, and all the experts, I would like to say, because uh, in White, we have many different expertises. Yeah. Uh, so we had all these um, uh, sustainable um, specialists involved, uh, light designers, mm-hmm. and landscape architects. So. I mean, and also Rodeo, so who brought in the more local knowledge and also the focus on the social uh, sustainability. So, I mean, it was a super team, actually. Yeah, yeah. very interdisciplinary with uh, yeah. lots of different expertise coming to the table. Um, so that team's approach was to deliver a strategic plan in two time spans, we can say, like a short-term plan over 10 years and a long-term plan all the way to 2040. So that's actually still in progress as we speak. Was that part of the competition premise or was that unique to your proposal? Uh, yeah, it was part of the premise to uh, look at this long-term and the short-term uh, perspectives. Mm-hmm. But what we brought to the table that was kind of new for Oslo uh, was the term test pets. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's kind of a tool that you use uh, quite early in the process to test out IDs. Mm-hmm. So uh, and it's kind of a low key approach because uh, you don't need to invest that big investment that you need to do mm-hmm. uh, when you develop. It's more like a trial and error process. Mm-hmm. So you decide along the along the road, so so to say. If if it works, it can stay. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's why testbeds was uh, kind of the winning uh, concept for our proposal. Yeah, yeah, because testbeds means that you can spend kind of less money, do things quicker, and take some of the pressure off of these decisions by actually yeah. seeing what works. Yeah, and you can involve uh, more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can open up for uh, IDs uh, along the development process. Uh, so it's kind of a an idea about opening up for more <laughs> ideas and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, as a transplant in Oslo, I noticed the transformation of the waterfront since the time when I moved here, and that was about 12 years ago. There were several of these little gems back then, um, and they each had their own unique identity. And they had a local group linked to them that liked to come there and congregate and use them in different ways. But all of those gems were really disconnected from each other. Um, so. I wonder if you can explain the strategy for mapping those gems and integrating them into a holistic plan along this nine kilometer long public space. Yeah, I mean, it's in in one way, it's really easy because you can just walk out and walk with your eyes open. It's quite yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I mean, it's part of a really complex um, uh, situation because you need to be aware of this, like you say, this small groups interests along uh, on the harbor promenade. So uh, what we did is, of course, the traditional mapping uh, looked at the different ways uh, to move uh, along the water edge and how to kind of connect all these small pearls. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also spent 
quite a bit of time to actually talk with people. That mm. was kind of um, more a hands-on approach, listening and try to understand how it works with this mm. informal network along the Hamnepromenaden. Yeah. yeah. And before you and the, the team began to draw anything, I, I understood that you spent a lot of time on the ground interviewing users of the waterfront and figuring out how they were interacting with the different spaces, how they were getting there, how they were moving around, and what they might want in the future. Um, can you explain why it's so important in general to start with conversations before we start to design on these large-scale, long-term plans? Yeah, because, I mean, it's uh, overall it's a problem because people often uh, feel uh, disconnected from the this big process and uh, big investments mm. so for us it's really important to understand uh, the core of the um, qualities and what we can find that we can uh, use our expertise to actually uh, enforce because uh, mm. you have all these uh, uh, small uh, ideas that you really would like to lift up and kind of give some space for mm -hmm. so um, you need to be aware of i mean have big ears in these yeah. kind of processes yeah. because it's the public space and it's uh, everybody's uh, space mm -hmm. can you remember any um particularly interesting or, or surprising stories that you encountered by talking with the people on the ground oh it's so many uh stories but i mean uh um one was uh, maybe challenging uh, it was the boat owners uh, mm. in the western part uh, where you have this boat life connected to this public space and um, i mean it's different uh, focuses of course different needs that we need to kind of knit into this big idea of a public space and uh, access mm -hmm. um, because it's not um, always that easy i think in yeah. that process so yeah. that, i mean maybe that's interesting and um, make it really fun to be part of this kind of process mm -hmm. what were the boat owners saying i mean i think uh, they are afraid to kind of people that they don't know taking yeah. over this uh their i mean their life it's uh, their um, everyday life mm -hmm. walking down to their boat mm -hmm. it's their place <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, i mean and also try to understand how can we share these qualities with each other yeah and, um uh, i don't know if we actually came through 100 percent, but i think <laughs> yeah a bit yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, White didn't go on to design all of the test beds or the architectural interventions along the waterfront. So the team delivered the short-term and long-term strategic plans, and then others came in to deliver specific projects or, or test bed projects. What's your reaction to the way the plan has been translated into physical transformation so far? I'm really happy and I'm so positive. Mm. This we had this big idea about how it could be mm -hmm. and just see how this idea comes to life through others is really it's really um inspiration actually yeah so i'm so happy and i'm so glad that not just one 
single architect have been yeah. uh, having the design uh, responsibility for the Hamna um, Promenaden. Mm. I think that uh, also involves uh, the way Oslo is built, this uh, variation and qualities along, uh, mm. and also you find it in Oslo, that you can see that it's room for many voices. Mm -hmm. In the same way that you said it started as a mosaic of owners and users, it ends also as a mosaic because so many people get to be involved in the design transformation. Yeah. So it's a really inclusive process, actually, I think, yeah. uh, if you look at it. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's important. What's your favorite spot now on the Havnbrunnaden? Well, um, I thought a lot about that. <laughs> my favorite spot. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm maybe I'm in love with uh, places that is an, still an open end in a way. Yeah. So, I really like uh, Philipsa and Framnesbru uh, and uh, Kongen Marina is my favorite spot, actually. That, that's my favorite spot also. <laughs> <laughs> you should explain, Kongen Marina is this boat gas station yeah. that has a Miami Vice feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. I love pink, by the way. So yeah. that's really my favorite spot. <laughs> <laughs> you have a hot pink sign with a palm tree. In Oslo. <laughs> More yeah. Miami. Yeah. 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 No, but that's true. And then Philipstad is directly next to that. And that's the kind of um, ferry port where the color line comes in. And the color line takes passengers to and from Germany, but it also takes a lot of cargo um, from kind of Central Europe up to Norway. So it's, it's actually still in use, but the plan is over the next... Oh, probably 10 to 15 years that that port gets transformed into a new mixed-use um, neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. But I, I really like the Philipsta because it's it's uh, really. I mean, if you look at it, it, maybe it looks ugly or I don't know. But mm. uh, I think it's really for me. It's really beautiful because mm. because it's still uh, an idea about yeah. something, but it's not done. So it's yeah. really open. So that's inspiring, I think. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, I know just kind of zooming out, I know that working on the edge condition like a waterfront is really special. Um, and from discussions that we've had and articles you've written, I know that the edge as a boundary, or you don't see the edge as a boundary, but rather as a zone for play. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think that uh, play can be a lot of things. Uh, for me, of course, uh, play is also a way of testing and see uh, what we can do together. And also, I think one thing is to play with the edge is to see how it can uh, change over time and what you can do. I mean, if the water is high or low, that's one way to think about how to uh, play with the edge, so to say. And uh, what I think is um, uh, inspiring with play is that if you see uh, how we develop uh, cities and really would like to have it all done in once, mm. I think if you have the approach play, it's more like having it open and give room for the unplanned. Yes. Um, 
so I think that's a big challenge because we always want to kind of clean up everything. Mm. But if you uh, have the approach play, then it can be uh, more um, open for the unplanned. Yeah. So we ha- need to give some space to the unplanned, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, transforming watery edges in city is somewhat of a trend these days as industry moves further out or, or changes in general and leaves these large swaths of land like Philipstad for urban, uh, urban development. Do you think it's necessary to democratize the water's edge every time this happens? Or do you see, could you see some instances where keeping the industry in the center could be beneficial or using it for some other use other than kind of a public space? Could that be relevant? Yeah, I think uh, if you look at Philipstad as one example, and mm. you look at the process, how Oslo have been growing along the water edge, I think it's it's in, inspiring and really impressing uh, what Oslo has done, but it's also a way of lock the opportunity for the future yeah. because until now every space along the water has been open mm. and just for like this 10 years period we have kind of locked everything uh, into a structure that's yeah. really hard to kind of make a reversal so i think uh one challenge that we haven't given uh so much time is to think what's happening in in next generation, what kind of possibilities uh, do the next generation have? Mm -hmm. Um, So what we are doing is kind of filling in all the blanks Mm -hmm. and what's happening next? Mm -hmm. We Um, don't know. (laughs) We don't know, but I think that's uh, what I like with Philipsa is that it's it's open and it's it's, uh, something for the future. Mm -hmm. Now it's plans, of course, but Uh, We don't have that kind of uh, spaces anymore. Mm. What's the next generation's um, possibilities? (laughs) I don't know. In some cases, it could be worthwhile to to once industry moves, you kind of reserve that land to let it kind of slow cook in a way. Yeah, not take advantage of that land right away, but say, ah, we don't know yet. Maybe in ten years, maybe in twenty years, maybe the next generation of designers as an idea, or maybe there's a new need that's going to come to the city center and here we'll have this ready. So rather than, like you say, kind of cleaning everything up right away once it's not in use, just save it for a little while. Yeah. Let it it be a little bit weird and rough and and something good can come out of that too. Yeah. Mm. I think um, like architects and planners and landscape architects, we we really love to finish up kind of Mm. uh, and do our thing Mm. but also let a room develop uh, and see what time give (laughs) the space yeah like i think that's we need to learn to kind of uh, keep it open a bit so give it time yeah can you say did this project inspire your interest in water and putting water as a main focus for the Oslo studio or did that come later or did you already have that as a focus kind of in your heart where did water come into your story uh, since I was born <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah uh, well I love the ocean uh, that's 
that's one part of it. Um, but um, and I saw the opportunity to bring my interest into something that I can do also work time. <laughs> yeah, that was smart. <laughs> yeah. But also, I mean, if you look at sustainability and see how we, what we can do uh, in the future, I mean, water is a big issue. It's a big question. Mm-hmm. Maybe the the biggest question, if you look at the, the environmental aspects, mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, the more we work with water, we understand that it, it's a resource. Mm-hmm. And we need to take care of it. I mean, drinking water is one part of it, but also this climate change giving us challenges that it's really hard to see. Yeah. What, uh, and what and water and Oslo, especially Oslo, is it's uh, by the water. And what's happening with Oslo when the water is get, getting higher? I mean, that's really an interesting uh, question because how should we do with all the development mm. uh, with the eroding edges and everything i mean uh, and also the rising sea levels it's urgent and we need to think uh, and um, it's many concepts that is really interesting to study i mean you can fortify the city mm. is, it, is it sustainable or should we give more room for something else yeah. to let it happen so it's a really interesting uh, question and that's why I forced the whole studio to have a blue blue focus <laughs> I think we took it happily <laughs> yeah yeah it's really a, a question that I really love to talk about <laughs> yeah yeah but that's so it's exactly what we've learned over these previous five interviews for this podcast is that when when people really want to um make a difference and and work with water they have to change how they think about it from a challenge to an asset mm-hmm. and once they do that once they find out how can water be good here how can we deal with it in a way that adds qualities and isn't necessarily about fortification but you know what what does more water give us mm-hmm. then they find ingenious solutions they find things that work for now and for the future because they've they've taken it from the positive mindset I think that's yeah. Important. Yeah, I, I really, I, I really like that kind of change of perspective mm. because historically uh, we put all the water in pipes. Yes. And uh, we tried to kind of see how can we get rid of this water, mm-hmm. and now it's not working anymore. We see the water is coming from. <laughs> yeah, bubbling up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we need to think about it as an asset mm-hmm. and how we can live with water and by water uh, mm-hmm. as a strategy. Yeah. So then the last question is the way we're ending all of our interviews. That is the name of the podcast series is Can Architecture Fix This? Do you think that architecture can fix our relationship to the water's edge? Or is it too narrow to focus on architecture? And if so, how would you reframe it? Well, um, I'm not the, I, I don't want to promote like fortified, uh, fortified cities, <laughs> but something that I really love to think about what architecture can do mm-hmm. uh, is to build up a relationship to water mm-hmm. and give access to water. Mm-hmm. So I think when I think about architecture and water, I think in really small poetic interventions along the uh, water edge 
and uh, letting people uh, coming out and uh, reach out to the water surface. Mm. And I mean, if you look at what the whites have done, um, uh, a lot of is this small, uh, what you call it, Kastrup Sövar is one example. Mm, yeah, harbor bath. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. yeah, so give access to water. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's really appreciated. And it's also, it's a learning aspect to give uh, kids uh, easy access from the city to the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing that, yes, that is something architecture can fix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and where could people go to find information about the project? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, people are spending a lot of time in the social media, but I think you should go to Oslo actually to experience uh, Hamnepromnaden. Mm. It's a really beautiful place to, mm. yeah. Yeah. And they should come now as soon as travel is open and they should come again in 10 years and see yeah. how it's transformed. It's a every changing place. Mm. So they should be there, I think. All right. <laughs> Jenny Mackey, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure to speak with you and it's been a pleasure to work with you. Yeah, same to you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's the story this week and that's a wrap for the season. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to know more about the Harbor Promenade Project or about our studio in general, you can find that on our website at www.whitearchitecture.com. Can Architecture Fix This is produced by White Architecture in Oslo. Ingrid Klevan is our production manager. She also composes our music. Sophia Benson is our managing director. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you have a minute, please give us a rating. That helps others find us. I'm Rebecca Sheberg, and this was Can Architecture Fix This from White Architecture.